0: Just then his disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar, her water jar, and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, "'Has anyone brought him something to eat?' And Jesus said to them, "'My food is to do the will of him who sent me "'and to accomplish his work. "'Do you not say, "'There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? "'Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes "'and see that the fields are white for harvest. "'Already the one who reaps is receiving wages "'and gathering fruit for eternal life "'so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together.' it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I wonder, uh, and I, I wouldn't do this because it would be um, a bit of a trick question, and I'm not into that sort of thing, but if, if we were to hand out a little card when everybody came in this morning, and on it, at the head, at the top of the card, it just said, "Write, write your job as a Christian." In one word, write your job as a Christian. I, I don't know what sort of things we might end up with on the cards. I know for me, at different phases of my own Christian life, I would have written down. Uh, after pondering for a bit, I would have written down, um, "Love." That that my job is to love God and love my neighbor, and indeed that, that wouldn't be the wrong answer. And and then I might think, I'll bet you it's evangelism. I'll bet you that's what it is. I bet my one job is evangelism. And indeed, we're we're called to be witnesses. Jesus sent his disciples out to witness concerning the kingdom. And Jesus said in Matthew 24 that once everybody hears, hears this gospel of the kingdom, then he will return. But, but somebody actually asked Jesus this question. In John chapter 6, just a couple verses later, someone said, Jesus, what, what is the work that we're to be doing? And Jesus said, this is the work that you should be doing, the work of believing, believing in him. And, and of course, everything else flows out of that, that life of faith, that we're called to be those who believe and walk with Jesus. I mentioned Matthew 24 to you because um, it's fresh on my mind. It's been one of the passages where we've read recently as a family. My kids are older now. Our youngest is 18, and so we get to have the kind of conversations and dialogue where it's more than just, you know, who made you? God. Why did He make you? Because of His glory. Right? I mean, those are the important foundational questions that we used to go through with our children's catechism, but now we read Matthew 24 together, and my son says, dad, that sounds bad. Like, it sounds really bad. Like, they're going to persecute you, Jesus says. You're going to enter tribulation because of my namesake? And and he describes in that chapter all sorts of suffering, and in other places that that chapter reminds them of, all other kinds of suffering that will come upon Christians because they follow Jesus. And it was uh, peculiar to them that in Matthew chapter 24, at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus says to them, he describes what's going to happen to them, and then he says, and when this gospel has been proclaimed to all nations, then the end will come. The clear inference is that in the course of all the suffering and tribulation that has been part and parcel of Christians since the day that Jesus ascended into heaven, and the disciples began to know very quickly what Jesus was talking about when he described the tribulations that would come both before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and all the way through for his church to the day when the the sky is ripped open, the trumpet blasts, and we see Jesus face to face that during all of that time, there would be the simultaneous proclamation of the kingdom, that the testimony of the church would be going forward uninterrupted, unhindered. Jesus is building his church, and the gates of hell won't stand against it. But here's the reality. That suffering is, is like real people, right? Real people suffer real tribulation for faith in the one true God, And we suffer it at different degrees. We see it. We observe it. And in the middle of this season, not unlike the seasons of people who have lived before us since the day that Jesus ascended into heaven, we think, gosh, it can get much worse than this. This is bad. The end must be near. And indeed, I pray it is. But in this, as we hear Jesus' call to look at the harvest field, it can be a wearying word from Jesus. It can sound wearying, that I'm called to enter into the harvest field. I'm called to labor. Lord, I'm, I'm weary. I don't even have the energy to make breakfast for the kids. I don't have energy to go check on my mom. I don't have the energy to go to work today. And you're calling me to enter into the harvest field. And what I want you to see this morning from John, and it's, it's just really a word that I've been having to, to refresh my own heart with, is that the idea of of coming into gospel work, the idea of what I call entering into gospel farming, because Jesus uses agricultural metaphors here and in so many other places to describe the work of the kingdom. Gospel farming is a means of grace to us. Gospel farming is a means of grace. You discover that, that life as a gospel farmer or life in the harvest field Is always actually an experience of grace to the laborer. If if when you hear Jesus say, look up, the fields are white with harvest, you've got to remember that the same Jesus who says that to you is the one who said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Work. Rest. I will give you rest. It is an experience of rest. It is an outworking of rest that rest that is rest from shame, rest from condemnation, rest from not knowing who you are in the world, rest from working to try and please God. Rest. Resting as a, as a child, as a son, as a daughter of God, and entering into this work of gospel farming. I want to break this down from the passage. I'm going to quickly cover two points and answer the questions, how, we, how do we become gospel farmers and what is gospel farming? And then just take a few minutes to ponder the question thirdly, how does gospel farming actually become an experience of grace to God's people? How do we become gospel farmers? This, this first snapshot of gospel farming, if you will, is the one that we see Jesus having with the woman at the well, this Samaritan woman with whom Jesus has been, has been visiting, she becomes a gospel farmer. She enters into the work of the harvest. I mean, just in the time that it took me to read, which was a little bit less than probably the time that it took them to have the conversation, she goes from being lost, outside of the kingdom, probably a God-fearing person, waiting on the Messiah, to knowing that she's been found to knowing that he is the one who saves, to resting by faith in him, and then entering into uh, the harvest field. That the same one who had said to her, I can give you living water, is the same one she discovers that knows her whole story. The whole, I mean, in a sentence, Jesus can say, you've been married five times and the man you're living with is not your husband. But think about the the, the experience of five, five different times standing before the justice of the peace until death do you part in sickness and health. I mean, I'm being a bit anachronistic, but she would have been going through this process of being wedded to another man who, who, for whatever reason, failed to keep the covenant with her. And then she remarried. And then she remarried, and then she remarried. That's a lot of mornings. That must have been a lot of arguments, a lot of distress, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of shame, a lot of sin. And now she's she's just with a dude, and Jesus knows it. And Jesus knew it when he said to her, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for living water. The gospel is good news. To those who know that they fall short of the glory of God even when it's Jesus who reminds them because it's Jesus who says behold I'm the one who comes to give you to give you life Jesus Christ the one the God-man who came who lived a life of perfection Jesus never had a moment where he felt shame he never had a moment when he felt regret he never had a moment when he feared condemnation from the Father. He never had a moment when he wondered, Who am I? Why do I keep doing this? How do I change? Jesus was perfectly in line with the Father. I mean, it's it's a sort of life that we can only imagine with words. Because our experience is wholly other, right? our experience as we grow up with confusion about our identity, with confusion about how we come whole, with confusion about how we can find peace, with confusion about why we worship the things that we worship. Jesus, perfectly obedient, who deserves nothing from God the Father except favor, right, joy, admiration. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Like when Jesus would have heard that from the Father, there would have been no part of Jesus that went, hmm, that's cool. (laughs) I'm surprised. He knew he was perfectly in communion with the Father, and he's in a world filled with people who aren't. He's in a world filled with people like me who only deserve condemnation, and the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus is describing to this woman as the one who gives living water is that He Himself will take upon His body the condemnation that that sinners deserve. Jesus would die not for His own sins but mine and for yours, and that's that's why He died. As He received the penalty for sin, He suffered for three hours on the cross, and He gave up His spirit, and He breathed his last, and He was buried. But, you know, the story, right? (laughs) Jesus lives today because three days later he rose from the dead. The reason he rose from the dead is because the grave had no claim over him. He did not die on account of his own sins, but on account of the sins of those who he was saving. And so Jesus is the one who's able to give to us life. We, We are united to him through this work of believing this, this is what it means. We believe, not, not just, we don't believe in Jesus. We believe into Jesus, if you will. We, we, as we are united to him by faith, by the, by the person of the Holy Spirit, his death becomes our death. So Paul is able to say, I was crucified, how? With Christ. When Jesus died, I died. When he was buried, I was buried. When he rose from the dead, I rose from the dead. And now you and I, if we're in Christ Jesus, if we've been saved by his grace, We are where? Where are you? Where are you? You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Your phone won't tell you that. If you look up iMaps and see your location. But God's Word will tell you where you're at. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And you're there because God... Is, is the one who gives life because God encountered us at some place and at some time God came to us and said I know everything about your story but I've come I've come I've come to clean you I've come to give you righteousness so that now when the Father looks at you he doesn't see your sin but he sees me he sees me I'm going to cover you in my blood and restore you and make you whole and so that's what happens to this woman she gets it She she understands that 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 she's that she is going to be saved, that she's being saved by this Jesus that she's met at the well. She puts down her jar, she runs down into the city, and she starts everyone she encounters, presumably, she says to them, You've got to come and meet a man, right? Come and meet the man. Come and meet the man. Come and meet the man. He told me every he knows my story. She knows that they know her story. Historian told us that's why she would have been there in the middle of the day. She didn't want to go with all the other women. Filled with shame. They know her story. She says, this guy knows my story, but the rest of the sentence is, and he's, he's come to save. He's come to save. He's not come with a hammer in his hand, but he's come with a fire hose of life-giving mercy. Do you hear that? So that's the mercy that's for sinners. That's the mercy that's for you. That's the mercy that's for me. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, come to Him by faith even even now. I'm helped by the fact that this woman was like steeped in religion. She would have been known as a churchgoer. She would have been known as a a God-fearer. But there came a day when she realized, I don't know Jesus. And she was called and turned to him by faith. This, this in immediately brings her into the gospel, into the kingdom, and, and consequently into the work of, of being a gospel farmer. What is gospel farming? What's the, it's the sharing of this objective truth? You see, it's, it's, not, it's not what we say sometimes, which is, I'm gonna share my faith, right? It's time for me to share my faith. Because a lot of my friends who don't want anything to do yet with Jesus or who have other religions uh, to which they adhere, if I say, can I share my faith with you? They're going to go, well, that's great. You share your faith and then I'll share my faith. It's sort of the subjective reality. You've decided what's right for you. I know what's right for me, but we don't have to be in conflict about it. Like you stop at red lights, I'll stop at red lights, and we won't have any accidents. that's not what it means to share your faith. To, to share your faith in, in the biblical sense, right, is, is to, to live in response to and to share the objective work of Christ and His Spirit that has invaded our broken reality to bring us life. Maybe I'll say it like this, gospel farming is not telling others what we think they should do. Here's how you can have a better life. Here's what I've discovered, and you should try it too but rather telling others, this is what Jesus has done. This is who Jesus is. This is how Jesus saves. And the woman at the well is simply describing to citizens of her city, there's one who came. He came right through my brokenness and he promised to make me whole. Uh, I have a friend named Mike who's a part of a a church plant a little bit west of here. And uh, he's just, he's being saved right now. He's been saved, he's being saved, he's being transformed. He's working on relationships with his kids again. He's a single guy, he's 71 years old. He works with me at our shop. And I hear him when he talks to people about what's happening in his life or when someone asks him a question about what's changing or when he's just meeting a stranger and and the, the opportunity to speak about the gospel comes for him. I hear him say this all the time, Jesus saved me, man. That's his testimony. Jesus saved me, man. Jesus interrupted my life and came into it and transformed me. I used to be a drug addict. I was in prison for years. I forsook my responsibilities as a husband, as a father. I hurt people in some bad ways. Jesus saved me. Come meet a man. I used to sit on the floor And wonder how can i ever stop doing the things that are killing me and hurting people around me with no answer jesus save me man you go to mike and you say bro you're what i see in your life is such a blessing and encouragement to me in this way and you know what it'll say to you jesus save me man he he's got a bigger vocabulary than that but his articulation is always I am part of the gospel of the kingdom. I'm part of the work of the kingdom because God broke in and did something. God came to me. God radically transformed me. He changed me. I love him because he first loved me. This is how it is that we come into the work of gospel farming. This is what it means to be a gospel farmer, that we're sharing the objective work of Christ and his spirit that's, that's what this woman is doing. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And then at verse 39, right, the people say, um, after she, she says, because of your testimony, he told me all that I ever did, but now we've heard, and we believe his word. Thirdly, how is gospel farming an experience of further grace? How is it grace? How is it Rest? that Jesus says to his disciples, look up. The fields are white with harvest. Well, in it we find renewed strength and joy, Jesus highlights that for his disciples in verses 32 to 34 when he responds to their question about, like, aren't you hungry? Don't, I mean, we, don't tell us we got KFC for nothing. Like, it's here. It's going to get cold. Eat it. And Jesus says, I've got food you don't even know about. And this morning when I was pondering this text, I saw something in, in this chapter I, I don't remember ever seeing before, and that was that at the beginning of the chapter, in verse six, it says that Jesus was wearied. Jesus is at the well. He's sitting there because he's tired. He's tired from the journey. Now, we know that he experienced everything that we experienced. He experienced every sort of temptation, every sort of um, The the limits of our our fragility as human beings, the creatures that God made us to be, yet He was without sin. But He's tired. He gets tired. He sleeps. He gets hungry. He eats. He's weary at the well. And when I'm weary at the well, the last thing I want to do is have a conversation with someone else about living water some days. When I encounter that, that moment when I recognize, oh, this is a work that God prepared for me before the foundation of the world, I'm exhausted in my own strength. I have nothing to give, nothing to share. But Jesus, being weary, engages with this woman straight off and says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked, and he would have given you living water. And when Jesus' disciples then come back, when they're shoving KFC in his face, and he says, I've got food you don't know about. What is that food? It is to do the will of my Father. That as he engages in the work of the Father, he finds refreshment, he finds joy, he finds strength. The, the picture here is that of a farmer, right, going down the row, put it a seed put, seed, put the next 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 seed, get all the way down to the end of the row, and go, oh man, I feel good, I feel I feel better than I did at the other end of the row, <laughs> I feel strengthened because as I engage in the work that God's given me, whether it's evangelism in the, in the most Uh, sort of natural sense that we think about, or caring for our mom, caring for our dad, caring for our children, caring for our friend. Jesus says, I get fed as I do the will of my Father, and He's our Father, because Jesus has made Him our Father. When we take His yoke upon us, we find that at the other end of the field, we have more peace. We have more joy. I mean, we don't stop being human. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But but this matter of of being energized to look up and to see that the field is white with harvest, to be those who participate in the work that Jesus is glad to give us, we find that he strengthens us. You know the story of the Moravians? If If you don't, look it up. Read about the Moravians missionaries, just unbelievably awesome, you know, what, what they did and how they were used by God, even the story of their founding. But there were a couple of Moravian missionaries who set off to travel to an island where there were lots of slaves and the, Brit- the, Brit- the British dude who had bought that island, who had brought those slaves there, some 3,000 slaves, history tells us, had said, like, don't even bother coming here to do any missionary work. It was sort of like a blanket, don't bother coming. If you come, we'll put you to the side and we'll send you back away. These two guys, you know how they decided they would evangelize the, the island? They said, we'll sell our slaves into slavery. And, and they left, and as they left the Moravians... You know, they cried out that the lamb who was slain would receive that which was owed to him. And they went. But no doubt, in the midst of their labors, during the years that they spent on that island, sharing the gospel, seeing those slaves come to faith, slaves that they were concerned, apart from somebody going and bringing the gospel, are going to die without God and without hope in the world. You, You have no doubt that there were days when they were like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And in fact, the more mature we get, the longer along we get in life, we realize that that's always true. You can't do it. You can't do it. God in Christ Jesus, empowering us to do the work that he gives us as believers, we do it. We find joy, we find strength. David used to say it like this, the joy of the Lord is what? It's my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The second thing we see in this text, uh, in the way in which gospel farming becomes an experience of grace is that we don't have responsibility for what happens. Verses 35 to 38, you, you can see that Jesus is just telling them, here's the harvest, come on in, enter in. And he says, you're going to enter into to work that has already been begun by other people. We, we don't know where we enter into the harvest, right? We don't know if we're planting. We don't know if we're watering. We don't know if we're harvesting. In any given circumstance, we don't know where someone's light, where someone is on the journey of their own life and their own redemption. But Jesus says, you, don't, you, you come into this work and we can see in this that we don't have responsibility for the results. I wrote this down. If our joy is doing the will of the Father... We won't determine our willingness to be faithful based on the results that we want to see. If if our joy is in doing the will of the Father, we won't determine our willingness to be faithful based on the results that we think we can see. If our joy is doing the will of the Father, we won't determine our willingness to be faithful based on the results that we hope we can see we will engage knowing that He gives us strength, and, and His joy will be our strength, and whatever He wants to do, however He wants to work this out, the glory is going to be His no matter what. Missionaries to Japan are, uh, using, are seeing God use uh, black missionary gospel music to bring Japanese men and women to a saving faith with Jesus. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Years ago, I was with a, a an American missionary to Japan in Cleveland, Mississippi, who was telling this story about how many of the Japanese would love to sing this music and perform it, and that as they sang it, as they sang the words, they came to be saved by it. And he's telling the story, and I'm like, dude, you got to stop for just pause for a second. I'm just thinking inside. Is, and I wanted to ask the room, does anyone else see the wonder of this story? that God was at work through the the horrific tragedy of of people being sold against their will, kidnapped and sold into slavery into into the United States and in other places in the West. And as they exercised their faith in God and as they wrote worship songs and communicated their praise and used those songs to share their faith with their children and their children after them, who would have known that 200 years later, there'd be secular singers in Japan using those exact words to be brought to God and come to faith. It's a marvel to me. And and there's stories like that all the time where, where Jesus is at work. He's doing things that we could not expect, and the results aren't up to us. We just walk into it, and He's doing something marvelous. Jesus is on about that in this passage, telling them you're used to having one set of expectations. It's not going to be what you expect anymore. Things are going to speed up. There's going to be a rapid pace that you cannot expect or anticipate. Amos chapter 9, he talks about the plowman overtaking the the, uh, harvester. And, and here in this passage, he talks about um, saying that the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life already. Already, he says. Why is that a surprise? Because it usually takes longer between the time you plant the seed and when you get the harvest. Go to Lowe's today, go to the section where they have seeds for sale, and look on the back, and it will tell you a little bit about which zone and region your, this plant will grow in. And it'll tell you when to plant it if you're in region number, I think we're like nine or something here in Phoenix. It basically says, if you live on the surface of the sun, plant it in January and hope for the best. (laughs) And they will tell you, it's 121 days. It's 139 days. It's 108 days, you know, from the time you plant it to the time you harvest. It's about four months with most things. And Jesus says, you're used to, you plant, you do the work of planting, and then you pray for, for God to send rain. And then four months later, you harvest but now there's something different that's going to be happening. It's going to be radically beyond what you would expect. You're going to be going down the row, boop, 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 half inch, cover it, half inch, cover it, half inch, cover it. You're going to stretch, you're going to turn around, and you're going to bump into somebody, and it's going to be the harvester. And he's going to be like, hello, carrying bushels full of corn or bushels for a pea, whatever it was that you were planting. And he's like, I'm harvesting. You're like, I just planted. It's like, I'm harvesting and you better keep moving because the plowman's coming right behind. Jesus says the cycle is going to rapidly, rapidly amp up as the gospel of the kingdom expands throughout the world and as people come to know that, that God loves them in Christ Jesus and this is how he's saving them. Leave the results to God, but do the work of believing anticipate that you're going to see things you couldn't have anticipated seeing that you're going to experience grace and strength that you couldn't have anticipated and and know that in gospel farming you will find that you're reminding yourselves about the heart of god towards you even as you share with other people this to me is the greatest grace in gospel farming you see the prerequisite for gospel farming is an experience personal experience of the objective grace of god And if that's true and it is, then we can't tell others about the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus without hearing the Father say to us, you're mine. I love you. I redeemed you. I've called you by name. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. The he loves you of our witness always carries with it the echo of I love you right? We love because he loved us first. Sharing the gospel is a critical part of discipleship. As this woman came to know that she had met her Savior, she ran. Jesus lets her go. He doesn't tell her, he doesn't stop her and say, you need to be in like You've got to go to Gospel 101 course, and then you've got to take our Gospel 201 course, and then you've got to, and then you've got to be in a discipleship thing, and then you've got to make sure you commit to being a member. I'm not, I'm not downplaying any of those things. What I'm trying to do is like alert us again to the fact that from the moment we come to know grace, from the moment we come to know Christ, a core part of discipleship is is, is entering into the farming because it's a means of grace that will continue to transform us. That's why Paul says in his letter to Philemon, and I pray that the, that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ Jesus. That's why it is that when Jesus appeared to his disciples after he had been raised from the dead, it says that some believed and some what? They doubted. Some believed, some doubted. How many got sent out? All of them. The ones who believed, the ones who doubted, all got sent out to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Why? Because discipleship, or because gospel farming is a central part of discipleship, of knowing and understanding in greater relief the love that God has for us. And the more that you and I know that God's love for us, the more we become like Jesus. It is the chisel in the Father's hands to shape us and to, 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 to cut away the things that need to be cut away, to reshape us to look and to be like Jesus, it's his love, it's his love, it's his kindness, right, that leads us to repentance. So, when I was in uh, Haiti for the second time or the first, I'm, con- I'm going to conflate two stories, but the first time I was in Haiti back in 2010 uh, doing short-term mission work, I remember sitting on the soccer field our first day there, and the children at one of the orphanages in um, Kai's were very interested in my hair because they hadn't really seen the hair of a uh, Blanca dude that much. So they were like pulling on my hair and, and grabbing my glasses, playing with my camera. And um, I wasn't really too worried about them pulling on my hair and playing with my glasses. I hoped that they wouldn't break. I was completely consumed with, I don't want to get scabies. That's what I was worried about. I don't want them to transfer disease to me. I don't, I mean, I'm ashamed to say it, but I'm just being honest. That's all I could think about was, I do not want to get this disease. I don't want these mites that are in their body that transfer so easily through close contact to get into my body, and for those things to bore under my skin, and for me to start scabbing up, and and blistering, and itching, and it being infected. So I was worried about that. And um, on day three of either that trip or the next trip out, uh, we were gonna be giving what we call scabies bath to kids. And scabies bath is like a citrus solution that kills scabies. It's It's such a simple cure, but they don't have access to that in some of the areas where we've served in the past. And so we wash these kids, and we know that within days, they're going to be well again. The scabies will be gone. And if they can keep washing themselves like this periodically, they can, they can remain scabies-free. And as they're, as they're lined up, like, just on this hill, just crushing down towards us because they're so excited to get washed and get new clothes and get new shoes, and I'm sitting there thinking about, like, you know, how do I try to wash them without touching them because I don't want to get scabies. And I almost had to laugh out loud when God alerted me to the insanity of my thinking, not just the insanity of remembering that he is my helper and I don't have a single breath apart from his mercy and grace to me, but the insanity of not realizing that the very thing that I'm using to wash them from this scabies is the same thing that'll be sloshing back on me and keep me from getting scabies. Like, you can't get scabies when you're you're washing people because you're covered in the medicine, and you can't forget about the grace of God in Christ Jesus when you're doing the work of gospel farming, when you're telling people about the love of God in Christ Jesus. You can't tell someone, God loves you. Believe it. Believe it. God loves you in Christ Jesus. As you turn to him by faith, he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. You can't do that apart from having it splash right back into your own heart. I mean, conversely, the opposite is true. When I spend my time being bitter and angry and short-tempered, it's like poison to my soul. But there's grace when we walk with Christ and walk in the work that He's, he's called us to. As He says, look up. Next time you hear Jesus say, look up. The fields are white with harvest. Look up. That gal that you've been working with who started to ask some questions. Look up. That guy that you're getting so frustrated with down the street, but you know he's lost and he can't help himself. You were just the same way before Christ changed you. Look up. The field is white with harvest. Remember that in that will come grace upon grace, strength and renewal and a reminder that Jesus who saved you won't ever leave you and he'll never forsake you. I hope that you'll be encouraged to be mindful of this as you walk with him in the days ahead. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, uh, we give you thanks uh, for your words to us in Jesus' We thank you that when you speak to us, it's always good news because there's, there's no more condemnation. Even when you discipline us, it's because you love us, because you won't let us wander off to our own destruction. We're yours. We've been bought with the price. So we rest in that, Father, and we pray that you'll help us to revel in it, to roll around in the goodness of that, if you will, the goodness of your love towards us and that we would love others and have it magnified to our own remembrance because of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.